Well, hey there, my name is Michael Blank. I'm your host at the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, the best way to become financially free with real estate, maybe not in a way that you think with might be single family houses, but actually with apartment buildings. Today, we're gonna to focus on the reason we come financially free, and that is, in my opinion, to live a life of significance, right? So, so financial freedom is a stepping stone to open people to living a life of significance. It's very difficult for someone in my, just to, to figure out, hey, what is my passion, my purpose in life when you're working 50 plus hours per week? Very difficult. Therefore, it is, it is my theory that financial freedom is a precursor to living a life of significance, which is why a lot of people kind of separate the life into two halves. One is the first half of success. People try to make as much money as they can be successful. Once they've achieved that, the life becomes almost empty when they figure out what can they do and they shift to being more significant. And I think financial freedom is an important stepping stone to that. That is what lights me up because I think if enough people become financially free, the world is going to be a better place. Now, today on the show, we have Ellis Hammond, and Ellis is actually a, a missionary who gravitated towards real estate as a way to actually provide income for him to, so he can focus more full-time on his missionary work, and in fact, he succeeded. He went into, from so many people, single-family house investing, got into multifamily, and then literally was able to pivot full-time into real estate investing, which then sustains him in doing what he really wants to do, and he's created a mastermind for faith-based entrepreneurs. So it's a super interesting journey, and he shares a lot about his limiting beliefs that really prevent him early on from getting started. And we kind of hack those and see what those are because I know a lot of you watching and listening to this are maybe struggling with some of the things, things and Ellis really has figured out how to, way to overcome those. And that's all in the show here for you today. So stay tuned. Hey, and let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. I also wanted to mention to make sure you guys grab tickets to Dealmaker Live in Dallas. It's going to be the multifamily event of the year. It was unbelievably amazing last year. July 16 to 18 at the, uh, at the Hilton Anatole in Dallas. The super early bird ticket pricing expires at the end of this week. So make sure you go to Dealmaker Live event and grab your tickets because they're going to gradually go up all the way leading up to July. And if you think you might go, now is the time to get in. A super awesome event. We have a lot, a huge lineup of people who you may recognize, including Adam Adams, Corey Peterson, but also Brandon Turner of The Bigger Pockets is confirmed, Robert Helms of the Real Estate Guys, and we're all going to talk about real people doing real deals, which is people you may not have heard of before who have done their first deal. How do they do it? People have quit their job. How do they do it? We're going to unpack all that at Dealmaker Live. So head over to Dealmaker Live event and grab your tickets. Speaking of people quitting their job, essentially, is our guest, Ellis Hammond, and let's get in and, and really unpack his story as well. Let's get into the show. Brother Ellis, how are you today? Hey, Michael, what a what a joy to be here. It's funny, you know, like I remember early in my career, man, this was one of the first podcasts just listening to and thinking like, man, maybe one day I can do a syndication deal. Maybe one day I can get there. So this is uh, probably like so many listeners, you know, have listened to your show, have learned so much and now getting the opportunity to be on it. Thanks, brother, for just all your hard work and inspiring a really a, a massive community, man, to pursue something that we you know we thought was only in a dream so thank you yeah it's it's great and and we connected i don't know about, about a year ago and i said you know why don't you wait till you quit your job and let's have you on the podcast then because your story is going to be better. And so you actually have quit your job and your story is better. And it's going to inspire hundreds, if not thousands of people listening and watching this. And so I want to get into it, Ellis, and I can't wait. So why don't we start with, 
you know, start kind of not in the beginning, like I was born in a small town at 1130 at night, but, you know, kind of uh, when you started getting into real estate, why were you getting into real estate? What problem were you trying to solve? What were you trying to do at the time? Yeah, let's speed it up. So I moved to San Diego, California, kind of right out of college. We started a Christian nonprofit uh, kind of with the goal to really serve the the college universities across San Diego. And so kind of our plan was we were building communities of faith here in San Diego. And we had, um, it was about three or four years in to kind of that launch where we had built a team and uh, we, you know, about 15 total on our team, really building a cool mission here in San Diego. And it was at that time where kind of the needs of our ministry were growing and we were actually raising every penny and dollar we needed to support our nonprofit. And so I think in some ways that was kind of getting harder, you know, as we were thinking about expansion, we were thinking about growing as well. We have a capital problem as well, but really the turning point for me, Michael, was I remember one of the guys on my team coming up to me. I was kind of sitting in the lawn that day and he came up to me and said, Ellis, I'm really struggling to buy groceries this month because he too was fundraising. He too was also kind of living on the donations of others. And I remember that day very vividly because I wanted to help him and realized there wasn't a whole lot that I could help him because I really didn't have much of a financial means either, right? I was also raising all the money we needed. And so that was a real turning point for me where I realized, and up to that point, I had a really, I would say, unhealthy relationship with finances that, I don't know, I think I just had a false belief that I wasn't a good steward of money. And I, I realized money must not be that evil if people like this guy right here need it, right? And in order for our ministry and the things that we really love and want to support need capital, I need to figure out how to create it, how to build it, how to multiply it. And so real estate for a simple guy like me became that vehicle and we got incredibly hungry about how to grow and build wealth through real estate. So I want to ask you about that, but you, you mentioned a, kind of a limiting belief about, uh, you know, money is the root of all evil. Yeah. And a lot of us struggle with that you know, because we actually think that's biblical when in fact it's not. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And there's yeah. a considerable difference between, between the two. And the truth of it is you can't ignore money. Okay, money is something that you can't ignore and you have to address your living expenses, right? Because if you're living on a bridge, your ability to help other people is going to be limited. And so if you look at all the missionaries out there, they have in some way or another figured out how to cover the living expenses. And it could be, you know, through donations or other people supporting. But I always say if Mother Teresa didn't have her living expenses covered, she wouldn't have been able to do what she did. So she was in that sense financially free because she found a way to cover living expenses and especially in the missionary work. And I'm very sensitive as well because I'm involved in a mission in Uganda. And the topic of, of, of money is always an issue. I can't buy groceries today. But then no one wants to talk about it because making money is like this bad thing. And I'm like, you can't ignore it. You got to bring in money. Otherwise you can't live. Otherwise you can't make an impact. And so it sounds like you were struggling with that as well. Yeah. You know, it goes back to, I do think there's definitely a limiting mindset in the Christian belief. And part of that is because it's been mistreated in a lot of ways, but I think part of it is just, we're scared to talk about it. I think also though, Michael, like if, if, People look at our stories. I think there's a lot to do probably just personally. I, I saw money really kind of put a wedge between my parents and them getting divorced when I was younger and just seeing that the things that what I thought money was doing, really, it was probably, you know, the things that my parents had internally that was really causing that. But for me, I kind of blamed it on money. And so I just said, I'm going to stay away from that. Like I'm going to go into ministry because then I don't have to worry about money. But like I just said, at some point you got to deal with it, right? Because you're going to need it. And we couldn't I was limiting our impact 
because I wasn't focusing on capital enough. Because really what capital is, is influence. And so, you know, and we can talk about that now, but now, I mean, I literally completely transform my business, my life, my direction to actually help entrepreneurs create more capital because I just truly believe like I want us to have more influence in this world. And I think multifamily, as we both agree, is a great way to do that. Well, I didn't start with you. I mean, like most people, you're probably thinking single family house investing when you're thinking, oh, I'm going to generate a little, little passive income on the side. Yeah. What was your What was your plan at the time and how did that evolve? Yeah. So we did. So yeah, that was, uh, you know, I didn't know anything, man. And we didn't, I mean, we really knew nothing. Like we went to one of those two hour seminars and it was the first time that I realized you have to be a millionaire to be, to be in real estate. And I was like, oh, well maybe I can do this and just got hungry and literally started by listening to podcasts like yours. Our first purchase was a duplex in San Diego. Funny enough though, it was a, I mean, it was almost 600 grand was that duplex. So it wasn't a, uh, yeah. I mean, that's San Diego real estate. It's absolutely insane. And that was a good deal, by the way. And so we did really, really well there. But like you said, we just realized if, you know, to really achieve the type of impact and the goals that we want to do, it's going to be really hard to buy, you know, $600,000 duplexes at a time that we're only cash flowing a couple hundred dollars. And not only that, a lot of our time went into rehabbing that duplex because we couldn't hire anybody to help. And I just realized then, like, that's not, it's not what I want to do. Like, I, I like real estate. I see the power of it, but there's got to be a bigger way. And, and honestly, that story I told you at the beginning of this show, that was a turning point for him. We had actually already done the duplex when he came to me. And that was a turning point to say, there's got to be a better way. And you might say by the Lord's grace, by I don't know what it was, but someone had called me, I think just right after that time, and, and literally introduced me to the world of syndication. He said, hey, I saw that you were raising money for your nonprofit. Did you know that you could leverage that same skill to be a part of a larger deal? And my first reaction was, is that legal? <laughs> right? Like, are, are you sure? And um, I had no idea what syndication was. Again, I was still under the concept you had to be a millionaire to buy real estate at all, much less I could be a missionary and still do a $10 million. That was a mind shift for me. So that so was the start. Yeah, I love you keying in on some of these limiting beliefs because now they're in the past and you kind of forget these things, but at the time they're super real, right? I have to be a millionaire to get into multifamily. And so many people believe the same thing. Oh, I need 10 years of single family house. Expect No, no, you don't actually, you yeah. don't. Now, so you you then got into the, you, your eyes were open to this whole thing of, oh my gosh, I can raise money to buy these large deals. What other, I guess, limiting beliefs did you struggle with at the time? Yeah, I got to be a millionaire. Oh my gosh, I can raise it. But then once you got past that, what were you faced with right after that, that maybe held you back? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was the experience thing, of course, right? Like who's going to trust me? I don't really know anything about this. I, I was also just scared. Like I was scared to do something bigger. You know, I was scared to to go and actually ask people for money. I mean, I even think about syndication, you, you're asking for 50 grand, you know, versus the nonprofit. I'd only probably ask for maybe at most five grand at a time. And so there was a limiting belief there to realize like, oh wait, now I'm asking, I'm, I'm literally asking probably in one time for more money than this person's ever given me in my entire, you know, nonprofit career. And so that was also really big. And I just had to realize like, no, I am. This is huge for your audience because I had learned this in the nonprofit, but it got probably 10x when I went into the real estate world because, again, I'm, I'm literally asking for 10x more. I am providing something of value for these investors, and I cannot be ashamed to ask them for capital because I'm not, I'm not asking for a donation anymore. In the same way, I wasn't just asking for a donation in the nonprofit world. You know, They were investing into a mission that was changing the lives of young people. 
in the same way in a real estate syndication as you're raising capital. You're not asking for a handout or donation. You have an incredibly valuable asset that literally all of the world wants. China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, like there's so many countries that are pouring money into US real estate because we have a valuable asset. So I think it was that shift seeing that, no, I'm actually providing something of incredible service to these people. And I should be unashamed about asking. This is very important because it brings up another objection here all the time. Well, I don't want to beg people for money. Certainly not friends and family, right? right? And and I love this argument and a lot of people are, are stuck there and they won't venture past that. But I totally agree with you. I think not, not only do we have a service for people, we're doing a disservice if we don't bring an opportunity because high income earners, they have a whole set of what I call first world problems, but they have problems nonetheless, which is I can't predict my returns because the stock market is up and down. I can't get cash flow, so I can't actually quit my job and I'm paying mm-hmm. too many taxes. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem that a high net worth or high income earner has and, and you can help them with that problem. Yeah, let's, I mean, you say first world problem as we should just brush off of this. But again, let's think about this. If someone's paying $125,000 in taxes quarterly, which I know high income earners who that was a problem before they got into real estate, that's $125,000 a quarter that they cannot leverage. Minded that they're, you know, people who want to create impact in the world, that's $125,000 that's not being leveraged for better things. That's $125,000. That's not being leveraged to help your mission in Uganda, right? Or our mission here in San Diego. And so like we should take advantage of those first world problems so that we can leverage them for third world problems or any other problems that we see. So it's not something light. Like this is a massive, massive niche that we as syndicators, and I'll say a niche, and I would say an opportunity, a power, a calling that we should be leveraging. To, we should, we, you know, we're called to be stewards of and have great power to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we're in the position where the biggest thing we can do is is actually help with the money. Because if I look at any mission overseas, like the one in Uganda, what, what I can't do is I can't be the boots on the ground yeah. in the remote area of Uganda. That's, you know, the founder of the organization does that. Right. But what we can do is helping with money. And so this is why if you say you want to call whatever you want, building guides, kingdom, doing good, whatever, it takes money at the end yeah. of the day. It just it just takes takes money. So back we're to, not all called to that, but I imagine everybody no. listening to this show you're probably called to that because there's clearly a passion or a interest that you have in this topic. And there's a reason that is. And so you're, you know, you're not listening to this show for no reason. And if you're questioning, you know, this idea is, is, is it, you know, whatever, is it my calling or is, you know, what I should be doing? Listen to that interest, right? Listen to that passion because it's not there for mistake. And, um, I, you know, I just say continue down that road because I'm here, and not because I, you know, necessarily chose this because I just feel like this is what I'm, this is what it literally I, I was called to. And I just continued to go down that road of obedience. And here I am now on the show, man. Yeah. Well, you know what? You are, you were very, uh, maybe self-aware for a, a long time and you figured out, Hey, it's not, not, not just about success. Maybe it is, but it's really about significance. And you figured yeah. that out and you're just like, my gosh, I need to solve this money problem so I can live a larger life of significance. Most people don't have the luxury or in a position where it's very difficult for them to think about this because they're working 50 plus hours a week. And when you talk to them about, hey man, why don't you figure out what your passion is and your purpose? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like (laughs) I'm working my tail off here. I have no capacity to think about that. And then on the other hand, what we find is people who quit their jobs, there's a temporary state of confusion because they're home at 2.30 in the afternoon. Their wife's like, what are you doing here? They're like, dude, I quit my job, remember? (laughs) 
and they don't know what to do. They buy a bunch of stuff. Maybe they go on vacations. And then they have this very, I guess, almost this identity crisis where uh, their identity is no longer locked in, in what they do. And they have to grapple with, my gosh, what am I put on this earth to do? And then people typically gravitate towards, hey, significance. What am I really put on this earth to do? And you figured it out earlier. I remember having uh, lunch with someone at, a, at an event. His name is David. And he had a passion for inner city kids. Mm. And he was telling me going on and on. And then he got very sad suddenly. And I said, dude, what, what's wrong? He said, you know, I do. I, I spend as much time as I can uh, in the inner city to help these kids. But I have a full-time job. And I can't, I can't do as much good as I can with this job, right? And this is why he was at this event because he wanted to figure out how to do this full-time. And to some degree, that's kind of what you kind of figured out as, as well, is you got to solve this money problem so that you can make a, a bigger impact. And so back to your journey here. So you said, oh my gosh, multifamily, you wrapped your head around it. What did you do then? How did you get started? And what did you do then over the next uh, months? Yeah. Uh, you, you said so many good gyms there, by the way. And I know we don't have time to get into it, I'm but glassing you're over right. a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that idea of like, can, I mean, the power of multifamily, right. To be able to create margin for people in their lives, a predictable income stream so that they can do the things that I would say God has called them to do the bigger things and not just work a nine to five. Now, you know, for, for most people, because a nine to five is not typically their calling or what they really want to do. And so again, another stewardship of the syndication business is helping people create margin in their life. That, I mean, that's the thing I just love when I listen to your show. Want, it's not just financial freedom for people. It's creating opportunity, being a good steward of our, of this business to help other people create margin in their life to create impact. Like, and that's, so you have done that personally. And I just think, man, we've got to continue to talk about that and preach that message because it's so What do you good. mean by margin in life? What does that mean to you? Well, margin of life, meaning like if you, like you just said, if you work nine to five or nine to six for most people, you know, and then they have to come home and take care of their family, you know, and there's no margin. There's no free time to actually do the impact things that they dream about doing, serving this nonprofit or being able to give their time to their church or this organization because they're, and not only that, they're always thinking about they have to work to provide for their family. There's no freedom to even begin to much less do, but even dream about how my life might be used for a bigger purpose. And so when I think about margin, the importance of what we are called to do is we're helping people create that freedom in their life to actually, if it's finances or if it's time, to be able to use that in a, you know, and I think and, so many people sense that. Some people yeah. sense that there's a lack of margin in their life that you call. They sense something is wrong. They sense that their purpose is, is on a higher plane than their, their current right now. And that's why they become so discontented with, with their W-2 job. And that's why right. so many people are driven to real estate financial freedom because they right. sense something's not. However, having said that, they have not necessarily figured out what that higher purpose is. And I even interviewed Grant Cardone a couple months ago on the show, you know, and there is a higher purpose looming inside of him. And I can't say he's figured it out. All I know, though, it's inside of him, and it's and it's and it's. He knows that whatever the higher purpose is requires a huge amount of money, yeah. and while he hasn't figured it out yet, 
he probably eventually will. And 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 I'm not saying a lot of people, I think their first goal is, is financial freedom, success, so they can get out of the nine to five, and then it opens up the world. Um, I mean, I don't it know has to we, be that way. Right? I mean, yeah. But I would also say this though, Michael, this is does my it though? But does it? I'm, I'm wondering if it, I'm wondering, if, it does, I'm wondering if, if, if it's a sequential event, it looks like it is, but I wonder if people can, can do something where they can be more intentional where they can work through those things and work out maybe their higher calling or is that it's just just impractical? Well, I would say this too, though. I mean, and I think it depends like who are you, you know, and where you are because my investors for our deals are business owners, not entrepreneurs. And actually my goal is not to help a thousand people quit their job or what is your goal? A million people quit their job. I actually don't want business owners to quit their job because business owners and entrepreneurs, the reason they're doing their job is because they found something that they're passionate about that they love and they think they're bringing value to the marketplace. Why would I want to pull them out of that? I don't. We're talking two different crowds here. So I'm not, your mission is incredible. I just serve a different audience, right? What I'm saying is that I actually want to give those business owners and those entrepreneurs more freedom and margin in their income and their finances to be able to stay focused on their God-given calling, which is typically their their business or their job. And so I don't want to pull them out of their work. I just want to actually give them more freedom and time to work in that and not have to worry about, you know, man, if my product doesn't sell this month or something happens to the economy, am I going to be able to provide for my family? Right? So yes, I mean, to your point, there, there's different ways to really approach this. And I think it depends who you're serving. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you recently quit your job, actually. Uh, talk about that because uh, talk about a lot, you know, another challenging mindset thing and also a practical thing. And I, I always see people, some people burn the boats and they quit, you know, long before they even done their first deal and others hang on to their job far too long. They could have quit like years ago, but they're like, right. oh, no, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> and, and, and talk about your decision uh, and what that was like to getting out of that and, and becoming more focused on, you know, on investing, which then of course gave you that, that freedom to do what you really love to do, which is nonprofit work. Yeah, I think it starts with having a good wife, you know, who was really oh, yeah. supportive throughout this whole process and really believing in me and yeah, giving me the opportunity to really dream. I also hired a coach who was just really objective in my life to point out the things that, you know, that were really happening internally. Thankfully, we had a good team. We had built a good team within our ministry that, you know, it took a year. It wasn't like I'm going to transition off or I'm going to quit my job. Like, no, we we thoughtfully we knew that we were stewards of something else that we had to essentially get in a position where we could transition out. And um, I would say financially, we definitely transitioned out before we were ready. But the snowball effect was happening too fast. And it got to that point where, you know, from a stewardship perspective, too much of my thinking and too much of my heart was here in the business than it was in the ministry. And I just realized like, I'm already here. I just need to be here more physically as well. And uh, that was huge for me. And I would say the other, we're talk, since we're on this theme of limiting beliefs, for me as working in the nonprofit, one of the things that kept me from probably doing it earlier is I had this fear that I was leaving my biggest impact because, you know, nonprofit or in the ministry or whatever it is, is to, you know, it's kind of like this holier calling most might see. And I had to get past this idea that, no, if this is where God's calling me, this is going to be a greater impact. I'm not leaving my biggest impact. And so it took me a while, I think, to wrestle through that and realize, no, the mission of multifamily, the mission of building our mastermind kingdom capitalist, this is has just as much capability of creating massive impact in the world as well. And so, you know, just I think, again, having a supportive wife, having a support, a supportive team, and just beginning to believe that 
no, like this, this is really, this is a good thing as well. And then I should really pursue after that. That was huge for me. So what's your passion right now? What did, what do you feel like your purpose? In my, is right I, now? I, I seem like a passionate guy. I feel like I'm just like talking really, <laughs> I am really passionate. I am, I do love this business. I love what it's created for us, for our family, for many others. We launched a group called Kingdom Capitalist this year that we've kind of been brainstorming for a while. And it's a mastermind for Christian real estate investors who really want to use their business and their wealth creation skills to not just increase their income, which I'm all for, right? Again, we need more capital, but also to increase their impact. And so I want to transform this scene, man. I, I want to see syndicators make so much freaking money in the next decade through real estate that we can change the world. I mean, you know, we have people in our group who, are, who literally within one deal are able to give away half a million dollars in five years. That's almost like 50 grand a quarter that they're able to give away through their real estate syndication business. I think about that as a me, someone who raised money for six years for someone to be able to buy a deal to give return to investors and also have enough margin in the deal to give 50 grand to our organization per year or per quarter. What a vision, right? Like I always thought those two things had to be separate to make money and to make impact. And syndication businesses, it actually allows us to do both. And so I'm just passionate um, about inspiring, equipping, kind of building this community of Christian investors to be able to do that with their business. And so that's what we're doing, Kingdom Capitalist. Uh, we're, you know, essentially the number one mastermind for Christian investors across the country. Yeah. How passionate do you think one has to be about real estate investing? Like, does someone have to love it? Could they love more than one thing? Could they love it a little yeah. less? And for like, how much does I get this? I argue this all the time. You better love it. If you're going to do it, you better love it. And I'm like, I don't know. What are your thoughts about to what degree one has to love real estate? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. What do you think? Actually, I'm not, actually not sure. I, what, I mean, you've heard this a lot. What would you say? You know, I, I just think you, you have to love it enough. Yeah. Is what I think. I mean, you know, to me, yes, I love the art of the deal. That's I, I, yeah. I love that. I, I'm, a, I'm a problem solver, and every single deal is a problem, you know, to be solved. Uh, I love creating opportunity for everybody. But is there is there something specifically yeah, around know, real estate? What I think I love? I love, Michael. You know, it's I think it's a great question. I, I love the people involved. Like, I yeah. love the community about about syndication. The, our real estate team is three of really great friends I have here in San Diego. And, you know, for our team meetings, we sit down and we open a bottle of whiskey while we're looking at deals and underwriting deals, right? Like there's a community piece about it, this mastermind, and we're getting to, you know, put together this incredible community. So it's not necessarily the real estate that I love, even though I do love actually going and looking at deals or something about that's really fun for me, but there's a component about it. There's a piece that allows me to kind of do the things I'm passionate about. So I, I would say that's probably why I love real estate the most. And I think that could be different for other people. I would say like to build this as a business, I, I do realize this isn't for everybody. Like real estate entrepreneurship is not for everyone. You know, you do have to get your hands dirty. It is, a, you know, there are things about it that not everybody will enjoy. It's why, you know, a lot of people should just be passive in their approach to real estate investing. But yeah, I think that's a great point. You don't have to love it all. I, I do think what's cool about syndication though, there's so many components. So I think so many people are drawn to it that you don't have to love everything about it because you can partner with people. I hate underwriting. I don't like a spreadsheet. Like when I get a spreadsheet, I just get bogged down, right? And so I pass a spreadsheet onto my partner and he does all of our underwriting. That keeps me focused. That keeps me in front of people. That keeps me on podcasts. So there you go. <laughs>
And this is, I think, uh, aside from the art of the deal, that is what one thing I do love about multifamily specifically over almost any other business, really. It is a, it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. And you talked about partnering and joint venturing. And it is people who go at it alone will eventually become successful, but it's so much more boring and it takes yeah. so much longer. Or will they? And why would you, why would you want to slow that process down? I mean, like, I mean, in almost every other business, it's normally, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, you, like flipping houses. Yeah, yeah, you have to have a team, but you're not joint venturing with people. You, you know, it, it's it's a different ball game. And you talked about, my gosh, a site of spreadsheets makes you, uh, you know, break out in a cold sweat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you're flipping houses, you know, you better know how to calculate the after repair value and find new deals and raise money. But the multifamily, you can play to your strengths as well. Yep. So if you're yep. a relationship guy, like, you know, you are, then you can partner someone who loves the spreadsheets and the underwriting. And- yeah, I mean... I- and let's talk about accelerating your goals for a second. I, yeah. I just truly believe this. I think about from where I came from as a, essentially a, a missionary, a pastor to now, a, you know, full-time real estate investor and have our own mastermind. The power of a network and investing in a network and the acceleration of your goals that literally one connection can provide. Like that's the most powerful thing. And so for those maybe who are struggling and trying to get this thing off the ground, you know, it's probably not another deal you need it might be a connection or somebody to come alongside your business. And guess what? You probably have to give up some of your business in order to bring in that connection. And that's okay because I much rather have a slice of a watermelon than a whole grape from the juice perspective, right? Like one, you know, I've heard that a lot that the juice of slice of a watermelon is much more than an entire grape and that's okay. I'll cut up all that watermelon. Right. And so I'm okay with that. Cause I want to move fast. I don't, ha- I mean, we only get so much time. And also it's just more fun to do with people. I just can't imagine doing this business alone. So that's awesome. So what's next for you, Ellis? What's next for me? Well, I mean, we are so focused on building this community right now, Michael. 2020 is going to be a big year for us, man. Uh, we're looking, you know, right now we're actually, I'm not sure when this podcast come out, but we're kind of bringing in our second class of applicants for the mastermind. We have our first in-person event in April in Orlando, which is going to be really fun. And uh, man, I, I'm trying to figure out, and I love if, if there's anybody in your audience listening to this who are actually have a model within their business that they're using for you know, to really create impact rather than be with their tenants or like they've created a model where they can actually give significant funds away through their business. I'd love to chat. I'm trying to figure out different models to just be able to teach and equip and inspire other people in this business to be able to use. So I'm just trying to figure out more ways that we can leverage this incredible, you know, industry to really create change. Uh, I'm really hungry about that vision. I think there's incredible ways to do it and I'd like to learn more. So that's really what's next for me is trying to figure that out. So on parting advice, Ellis, for someone who wants to do what you want to do or what you've done. Spend some time figuring out your superpower, your unique superpower, your unique gift, and then leverage the crap out of it. <laughs> like, you know, and you don't have to do it all. You just have to know what you're really good at and, and, and what your unique calling and gift is. And if you and if you can figure that out and figure out there's there's probably a way to be able to leverage that in this business. That's unique advice to this show. You know, there's so many ways, so many roles to play in this. If you can get real clear on who you are, kind of how you can leverage that skill or superpower, you can accelerate your goals. Don't think you have to do it all. So that would be my 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 best advice I could give to somebody. That's awesome. Ellis, how can people connect uh, with you and find out more? Yeah, man, I, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. So that's a great way to, to start a conversation with me. If you want to learn more about our mastermind, go to kingdomcapitalist.co. You know, there's an application there on the site. You can apply 
or my website's ellishammond.com and that's where I interact with a lot of our investors. So um, those are great places. Awesome. It's great to connect with you, Ellis, and, and really talking about you know why we pursue financial freedom. And, and it's a milestone, but not the end-all be-all. So I, just, I, I appreciate you putting perspective on that. So thanks so much for being on the show. Michael, thanks for your platform, man. I remember having a conversation with a CPA a little while ago, and she was talking about, we were talking about what our real true passions are. And she said, my real passion is teaching English at the high school level. And I said, well, tell me more about that. She loves writing. She loves poetry. And I said, well, why don't you do that? She goes, well, it doesn't pay the bills, right, as a teacher. And, and she was a little sad about that because the reality of life is that life costs money. And a lot of times we do things that we wouldn't normally do because it provides for our families. And that literally is the reality. What we're trying to figure out is how do we control our time and provide our family? And many of us have struggled with reconciling the two. I can do one, but not the other. And financial freedom is necessary. And once we do that, we can actually do both. We can provide for our families and we control our time, which means that this person now could spend her time teaching English for essentially free if she wanted to or for pay. It doesn't really matter. And I think uh, the reality of life of covering your expenses by working is one that we have to take seriously. But a lot of times it is holding us back from our highest and best purpose in life. And that's just the reality of things. The good news is we can do something about that. And I think we should. I didn't really, what I call, become self-aware or wake up until I was in my early 30s. When I really um, you know, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and really started paying attention to what's going on with my life, I didn't realize that what I really love to do. And looking back at my life, I realized, my gosh, I really love teaching. That's really what lights me up. And I've taught all through my life. I've taught tennis. I taught financial literacy classes. Uh, I actually built up a financial literacy class around the Casual 101 game and I taught it at a local uh, community college, stuff like that. And every time I did it, it lit me up. Like I got so excited and then I would go back and do whatever I was doing. Uh, the other thing I love is I really love the art of the deal, uh, specifically uh, putting deals together and, and making money. I remember there was a, an elective back in, in college. It was a two-week elective course uh, during winter break, and it was about this, this – it was a simulation. It was a DOS-based simulation game that essentially simulated the a sports agency from scratch. So there's a sports agent, and they signed up an athlete, and he would uh, win the Super Bowl and make a bunch of money. Then he signed up a tennis player. He broke his leg, whatever. And it was this – I played it for hours. I made the most money out of anyone in the class. I got an A in that class, and I just it lit me up. I was so excited. And then the class was over. I went back to doing what I was doing, you know, and didn't even think about it. And I think uh, so many people drift through life. This is what I call drifting through life. I think that is the biggest problem we have, especially in in the first world. Western world is drifting. We're so successful. We're we are so busy. We have so many things that uh, we just kind of do whatever comes natural, whatever comes easiest, what everybody else does. We don't question things. We don't really live intentional lives. And that was certainly my case as well until I, I woke up and I started looking around me. It's like the matrix. Like I woke up in the matrix going, what am I doing? I'm insane. I'm an insane person right now. And I cannot do this next, this, what I'm doing for the next 20 years. It is literally insanity. But it rattled me to the core. That realization that what I thought was to be true was all of a sudden uncertain really rattled me quite a bit. But I think that's what's required. I think a lot of us need to sit back and look at our lives and go, oh my gosh, am I living the life I'm meant to live? Is there maybe something better? Should I be doing something differently? Why am I doing what I'm, what I'm doing? 
And I do think that financial freedom is a sequential path to living a life significance, but I wonder if it has to be that way. I wonder if we can think about our life of significance and purpose while we're building up financial freedom. There's conceptually no reason why that can't be the case. But if we do that, it accelerates our life of significance. What I mean by that is we literally have a higher purpose as we set out in building financial freedom. We know that our passion, our purpose, once we achieve that, is going to be this. It's not going to be buying a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, sitting on the beach. No, it has a higher purpose. So I think my call to action to everybody here is is to really think about their higher calling, their purpose on earth, because everyone, I truly believe that. I, I remember I had this conversation with God, like when I was 19 years old, so I look, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you here, man, but, but, you know, I'm not going to Africa ever. Okay. I'm, I'm just not that guy. Don't, you can't make me do it. I'll, it's a conditional follow. And of course, sometime later, about seven, eight years ago, I actually went to Uganda for the first time, but it wasn't against my will. No, I wanted to go. I got really excited and wanted to go. So I don't think God makes you do anything he doesn't, you don't want to do. In fact, I think uh, God's purpose and your best purpose in life is buried deep within your passions. So there's a lesson here to try to really pay attention to what really gets you excited, what really gets you lit up, really pay attention to that and pursue that. Now, in order to pursue that, obviously, you got to pay attention to expenses, and that's where financial freedom comes in. you got to cover those expenses. But to me, financial freedom is a vehicle. It's not the destination. And this is so important. I think the call to action is really, what do you love to do? And do more of that. Do what you need to do to get your finances that allows you to live into that purpose. Because I think that's where magical things happen if you live into your life purpose. I, I almost imagine, you know, God being like the Gulf Stream, okay? This giant force moving in one direction. And you can do whatever you want. You can see, you know, God will say, you know, your best life is right over there. And you go, nah, I don't want to do that. And you veer off to the right and eventually hit the wall. And you come back and God's like shaking his head. What an idiot. You know, your best life is still over there. You're like, nah, I don't want to do that and you go in the other direction. This goes on for some time until you figure out where the flow is going. And you get into this flow of your purpose and your, your, you know, your ultimate, I guess, destiny and magical things happen. Things almost become effortless. Your life becomes incredibly fulfilled and your impact increases. So really, you know, we got to pay attention to where that is and then try to do your best to live into that. And it's not going to be easy. My uh, my experience has been it's not easy because it doesn't make any logical sense to pursue that life for a variety of different reasons. And one of the main ones is, of course, is uh, it's a terrible business plan, right? And this is one of the reasons I started blogging is because I felt I was called to share my experience as an entrepreneur, primarily all my failures, but also my successes. The problem with that plan, while it might help a bunch of people, it didn't help me at the time because at the time my restaurants were bleeding money and now what I needed at the time was money, not a bunch of blog posts and helping a bunch of people. But I found that once I started doing that, magical things started happening. And deals started coming my way and money started coming my way in ways I could never have predicted. And a lot of times you got to step out in faith. You got to step out in faith and then God magically shows up. It's just an incredible, magical thing. It's happened to me over and over again. And it's really an interesting phenomenon. So I guess my, my call to action is become clear or really think about what your passion is, where your purpose might lie. And this requires, you know, living more intentionally and really pulling back and asking questions about what you're doing in life and what maybe you should be doing differently. So a little bit of philosophical rant, but Ellis made me do it. And it's a, it's good to take a journey down there to put things in perspective of why did we do the things we do. Again, multifamily syndications are a vehicle to larger destinations, which is living a life of purpose, significance, and leaving a legacy. All right, guys, with that said, you guys have a great day, rest of the week. Catch you in the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.